Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. Today I am joined by Maxwell Adams, the creator of Evil Concarni, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, and so many fantastic shows that I really, really enjoyed. Kid Maxwell, how are you, sir? I'm great. How are you doing? Uh, man, it is a fantastic day here in Florida. It's rainy and shit, so my people are cool because my people tend to sunburn. We wilt in the sun, so I treasure days like today, um, especially because I get to talk to somebody that uh, had a huge influence on me at such a young age with Billy and Mandy. Um, we'll get to Billy and Mandy in just a few, man, but I really would like to know, at what point in your life did you really realize that, man, I could take these drawings that I do and turn them into a profession down the road you remember that initial spark that you had uh i think it's something that I, I wanted to do for a very long time like when i was a little little kid uh i still have this like book from from elementary school that says that i wanted to be uh, a doctor like my dad and a cowboy and an astronaut but but really it was always something to do with drawing and i think i was always worried and i i guess my parents were always worried that you know, you couldn't actually make a living doing that. Yeah. Uh, but somewhere in high school, I decided I, I wanted to, you know, I got really, really into animation and that's what I wanted to do. And for whatever reason, my parents decided to support me. So I went <laughs> off to art school. <laughs> well, it's always a good thing, man, because I hear so many stories about people that choose a creative path and their parents or their friends like oh man you're not going to make any money on this it, it's it's a pipe dream you know do something else do something that's got a trade or something that's got longevity like that doctor or even a cowboy man john wayne made it work for so long i mean that could have been maxwell the cowboy i mean who knows what we could have got um but I, yeah, I, years years later they did uh, come back and say that they expected me to move back home and i just never did <laughs> Well, at least you won out in the end. I mean, it, it, it could have went one or two ways, but you had some hit show. Um, but uh, so you're a little kid, you're getting, you know, you're getting pushed by your parents. As soon as when you get to high school and stuff like that, like they started getting behind you and all this other stuff. What were some of those shows that you would draw influence from? Not only just drawing, but like would open up your imagination back in the day. Oh, geez. I, I was into pretty much everything. Like the, there wasn't as much animation as there is now, but you know, we, re we really just had Saturday morning cartoons for the most part and a little bit, you know, before or after school. Uh, but yeah, my sister and I would just binge watch from, you know, six in the morning till, you know, noon or whenever the after school special type stuff would come on. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, everything from the Smurfs to uh, all, all the Hanna-Barbera stuff. I guess my favorites were really like old Hanna-Barbera and Warner Brothers cartoons like that was what did it for me back in the day <laughs> uh, was there any one or two that might have stuck out just a little bit more that maybe pushed you towards you know oh man i started looking at that animation a little bit more deeply uh, as a uh yeah i mean i mean looney tunes was was yeah. huge for that i think uh and i think for for hanna-barbera it was uh 
as a kid, I really loved it. But as a, as I got older, I appreciated just how, like the simplicity of it, just how they, they figured out a way to make, make things, I guess, on a, on a budget. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's crazy. Like I had this interesting way, I guess, of looking at animation before I started this podcast. And it wasn't until I started talking to a lot of the guys from the AKA studios, the guys that, uh, you know, did Ed, Ed and Eddie and all that other stuff with Danny and Tanucci and a lot of those artists. Um, I, I assumed you guys knocked out an entire episode in a week. I figured if we have a work week, you know, in a regular industry, like, like cooking and stuff, we have our day-to-days and we push stuff out and everything like that. So I assumed, and it was very cute when I told Mike Kubat this and he just started laughing at me. He's like, no, this shit is done two and three years ahead of time, you know, and it's, it's a slow process. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. And then I started reading all of these books on animation. I started with uh, of mice of magic by Leonard Malton and Jerry Beck. And then, um, I'm reading one now, um, The Moose That Roared. It was about J. Ward Productions and Rocky and Bully mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. And just hearing the stuff that you guys had to go go through uh, being animators, trying to get something done is astounding the shit you guys have to deal with. I mean, when you get done with high school and you start transition, did you go to art school um, after high school? Uh, yeah, I went to University of the Arts in Philadelphia. Okay. And they had an animation and film department there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it like your first day in animation school? Um, geez, first day, I don't know. Uh, I just remember, you know, meeting my roommates and, and mm-hmm. that whole thing. Uh, I, I do feel like, like it wasn't like one of the, the big animation schools and there wasn't really a focus on like getting into the animation industry. Mm-hmm. So while I did learn a lot and I, I don't regret any of it, like I didn't really learn anything about the business of animation and how animation gets done like at an industrial scale until I moved out to LA and that was kind of a shock. <laughs> You're originally from Philadelphia then? Uh, no, I, uh, I grew up in Colorado. Okay. Uh, I was born in Texas. I barely remember that, but uh, yeah, Philadelphia was just college. Yeah. What was it like going from, was it a huge culture shock? Because I've driven through Philadelphia a couple times and it's an interesting place, if uh, nothing else. I mean, there's there's some interesting people there, um, as as there is in other places too. But Philadelphia's got a, they got they got something, right? You just drive through, you're like, man, you feel different. You like lock the doors, roll those windows up real real tight. Uh, yeah, I, I grew up uh, in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which at the time wasn't as big of a city as it is now. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of what I wanted was the culture shock. Yeah. Um, I don't think I realized how much of a culture shock I would eventually get. Like, it's kind of an angry place. I like it. Yes, it is. <laughs> in its own way. But uh, there, we did have this thing that we called Philly face, where you just had to like, if you're going to exit a building, you just had to be like, <laughs> and like put on this like angry, like pissed off face and just stare straight ahead and like walk kind of fast to wherever you were going. <laughs> that Vietnam stare, it's just that thousand mile stare, you know, um, that's fantastic. Uh, what were some of your favorite places to eat out there in Philadelphia? Remember any? uh yeah i mean the the usual cheesesteak kind of paul's pizza too yeah that that was my primary cheesesteak place i guess (laughs) that's fantastic man i I like them cheesesteaks um so as you get how long was art school anyways was it is it like a traditional program like two three four years or uh yeah this was a four-year school what do you think was the biggest thing that you took away from art school um honestly it was just uh sort of the broader education like I always like learning things and uh you know I made it a point to take classes outside of 
my major. Uh, so it's, you know, a lot of the, the history and the poetry and uh, just, you know, it's all stuff that I, I learned to love and it's all stuff I incorporated into my work, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with animation. <laughs> it, it, it's funny because when I went to culinary school, um, I don't want to say I knew everything that I learned in culinary school, but from a young age at like 12, I mean, my generation, especially we have it. And even my son's generation. And now I've got another son in a month. Um, his generation is just going to be further experienced at such a younger age because we have this thing called YouTube or we have these things where we just share videos or, you know, it's so easy to connect with people. I mean, back in the day, if, if I wanted to reach out to you, I would have have to write you a letter, hope that it makes it, hope that you saw it and it just didn't get thrown away at the animation studio. And then just hope beyond hope that you would write back. And then that's how we would have some kind of correspondence. I mean, now it's, like I said, I, I sent you a message on Instagram. You're like, oh shit, I usually don't check these things. Uh, and then here we are talking. It, it's a weird world, Maxwell. Yeah, for sure. But, but going back to my original point was when I was going through culinary school, um, I learned a shit ton by just watching Emerald Live at the age of 12, right? That was my, that was my rock star. That was the guy I looked up to. He just had this, it was like uh, magic almost. He had this entire crowd captivated um, by just throwing his essence or, you know, getting into it with the band and stuff like that or making something and yelling bam and all this other crazy shit, right? So it was, it was, it was interesting. And then you start learning and watching all these other videos and seeing all these other people's techniques and how you do this. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. And then you get to culinary school and I'm like, man, I know this, I know this, I knew this. Like, why am I doing this? I'll Did tell you, you start why. Bamming? <laughs> no, because I tried it one time and then my chef was like, you know, it's trademarked, right? And I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Uh, it probably is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't want to go too, too deep, but, uh, you know, being in there and, and just hanging out and shit. I'm like, man, uh, it was a good time, a good experience. I met a lot of cool people. Um, I wouldn't change it for the world because the military paid for it. I mean, when I got out, I could go to school and they pay me to go to school. So that was cool. Um, but getting back to you, uh, and when I was doing a little bit of research on you, it was said you came up with the uh, Billy and Mandy um, during a film, uh, as far as your, your your student film. Did I say that correctly? I don't right. know if it was like a yeah. senior film. Or, okay, so it was a student film. Um, do you remember that initial, like, was this something that you had thought about previously and it's just something you was kept changing or altering and evolving as it came up or was it just one day it's like just came into your mind uh those characters the characters of billy and mandy had been around for a long time mm -hmm. i don't know exactly when mandy came in as sort of a counterpart to billy but billy was around since very early like elementary school i would just make these uh, my mom would give me those mini bond bell cheeses with the wax on the outside yeah <laughs> and i would take the wax and i would sculpt these little uh dumb red people with a big nose and I would call him Billy and I would like throw him uh, up to the, the ceiling in the school library and they would just stick there and there were like eight of them like up there. <laughs> uh, but I started making comic books about him and, and Mandy like they didn't really have the same personalities uh, they, those kind of shifted over time but uh, by the time I got to college it was just sort of an easy go-to to, to uh, I was I was kind of big into uh, at the time conspiracy theories just as, as yeah. dumb things uh and, and other dumb things people believed in so the 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 film was actually about uh trepanation which is drilling a hole into your skull to release yeah. you know the the demons uh so yeah that's i decided that's what i wanted to do it had to be a really short film so i was like well i'll just take these two kids and have them drill holes in each other's heads <laughs> what was the reception or or 
what was your teacher saying when you showed him? Because I got to imagine just being in that creative field, you see a lot of, uh, you know, student films and stuff like that. Some of them are fantastic. Some of them really, really great. And then some of them are like, what, what the hell did I just watch? I mean, what kind of notes were you getting after, after the uh, teacher saw this? Uh, I, I know it's a long time ago. So yeah, I, it was. Uh, they seem generally pleased. Uh, I, I always sort of overreach. Uh, so it was supposed to be like a two minute film. And I think it ended up being like three and a half minutes or something like that. Uh, so, you know, I, I went through a lot of my own trials and tribulations trying to figure out how to get it just done. Yeah. So I think just the fact that I got it done and it was, you know, kind of extra long, uh, it got me a good grade. <laughs> And that's all you need, man, a passing grade and a pat on the back. And it is amazing what a, a couple nice words can do, especially at such a young age where your mind's just starting to, I don't want to say develop, but it's for sure you're, you're getting all these new experiences and stuff like that. And, and it's starting to shape, you know, your person and your path and all this other stuff. So it's crazy what, you know, a good grade and a few kind words can do to you to help, you know, sure. your profession. Um, when this was done, do you remember how long it took you to get the entire student film done? Uh, it was like, that was like the class project of, of the year. So, uh, you know, you had other stuff you would do during the course of the year, but that was sort of the overarching thing was like, come up with your film by week two or whatever, and, and yeah. storyboard it out two weeks later. And then you got the rest of the, you know, semester to get it done. <laughs> Did, uh, do you remember, and I, I, I hate, I always hate asking you guys to try to remember 20 25, 30, you know, I've had some people on here where I've tried to ask them to remember, and I don't ever ask you like specific episodes or lines of dialogue or something like that. So I try to keep it general. So you guys aren't sitting there going like, oh shit, what, about, what am I supposed to say here? You know, it's, it's like I said, it's weird. It just bogs people down. Um, but do you remember going into that? And then as far as the, the process, cause you said it was on a, on a, you know, two weeks, you had to have the film and then you had to start working it. And then any of your free time you were doing this. Um, do you remember how much of that original story you just evolved, you know, throughout that entire process of that year to make it? Uh, what, what do you mean? I guess uh, just, just as far as did I cut anything out or? No, no, not so much did you cut anything out. Did you have original, you know, ending or did you, how do you do, you know, whenever you have a topic, do you start at the ending and work yourself backwards or do you just start and then as ideas come in, that's when you start playing with them? I guess is what I was getting at. Uh, back then, I would just do everything straight ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's pretty much how, how most of Billy and Mandy went. I don't think I, I learned until probably the last season or two of Billy and Mandy that there were times that it helped to plan things out. <laughs> like, especially if you're doing something longer than like an 11 minute cartoon, because I feel like a, a seven or 11 minute cartoon, like if you screw it up, it's gone in seven or 11 minutes. But, you know, if it's 22 minutes, like it's a little a little grueling if you haven't, if you don't have a plan B and things go wrong. <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean, so where did you start in the industry? What was your, do you remember your first job and what you were doing at that point in time? Uh, yeah, I, I basically moved out here. I got an internship at Film Roman, which was the place that did The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I worked uh, on a show called The Twisted Tales of Felix the Cat. Yeah. It was the second season, uh, and by that point, it had already been canceled. Uh, so it was just this weird, you know. It, and I had no idea how weird any of this was until much later, but because I had no point of reference. But it was just this really strangely small skeleton crew of like five people, uh, and basically, I was just eager to do whatever. So 
uh, I'd come in and be all excited and I'd be like, what can I do? And they'd be like, do you want to do some character designs? And I think they were just giving me stuff that nobody else wanted to do. <laughs> but I was just so thrilled and I would go and do it and I'd come back and they'd be like, oh, you're already done? Uh, well, do you want to do some backgrounds? <laughs> yeah, sure. And then I'd go do the backgrounds. Uh, so the internship went pretty well. And uh, after that ended, I, I had a, an opportunity to get a, a real paying job there. So they gave me a choice uh, to either go on to a new show called King of the Hill that they were doing. Uh, and at that point, uh, like it was so early in the, the process that the designs all looked like Beavis and Butthead, where they were just like, you know, <laughs> one and a half heads tall. tall. Uh, these massive, massive heads. Uh, and then the other one was the a Blues Brothers primetime show mm -hmm. uh, that NB NBC was doing. And I was like, well, everybody knows what the Blues Brothers is. Like, that's going to be the one that's going to go. So I went on that. <laughs> and uh, that was another weird one. We're just like, uh, it was it was a huge crew. And uh, it just like the pace was really, really slow. Uh, and I kept you know, getting stuff done. And eventually, like, my boss was like, look, just like slow down. Just take a walk or like... <laughs> Like we're not we're not going this fast. Like you're you're gonna burn yourself out. And I was like, okay, uh, but but basically, like the production would just keep shutting down and restarting, and we'd get these like long two week paid vacations while they they retooled things. And that none of that's normal. Like no, knowing now, you know, if I knew then what I what I know now, I'd be like, oh, this thing's imploding, which eventually it did. <laughs> uh, one day we just walked in and there was a, an announcement uh, that was like. Uh, well, the Blues Brothers crew, please come to the main conference room. And we all went to the main <laughs> conference room, like expecting bagels or something. And it was just like, you know, guys in suits that were like, yeah, you're all uh, done and you're leaving by three. <laughs> that, that's insane when you think about it. It's like you just walk in, you're walking into your, your essentially you're walking into your own execution. You're like, yeah, I mean, we're terminating this contract. You go at that point, man, when something like that happens, um, obviously you're very new in the industry. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming you've made some friends at that point in time, either from school or, you know, just doing your internship. When that happens, is it quick? You guys all just go and jump on a different project or is it 100% just everybody splits and goes their own way and it's, you know, feast or famine? Um, it's most of the time, you know, crews don't really stay together. It's, it's almost impossible to keep something like that rolling unless it's the same show. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's, you know, people know each other and people try to hire their friends and, and people that they like working with. Uh, so like the, the guy, uh, one of the guys on the Blues Brothers uh, ended up being one of my storyboard artists. On, like he was one of my bosses. And then years later, he was one of my board artists on Billy and Andy. So what, what was his name? You, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, Mike Diedrich. Mike Diedrich. Hmm. That name sounds really, really familiar. I'm pretty sure when we were doing our little pre-interview type of thing, when I was talking about all the names coming by, you get 22 minutes of a cartoon and then you get like seven seconds worth of credits. And I'm sitting there just trying to write shit down with a pen. I love how IMDB has it all set up because it will say, oh, storyboard, 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 right. character design, background design. It makes it so much easier because like I said, these credits just go, 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 go. Um, looking back on it now, obviously hindsight is always 2020. Um, would you have liked to go the route of King of the Hill or knowing what you know now, as far as how it ended for you and you know you got to create your show um would you have still stayed the course and did you know the blues brothers still um i mean you know if if i had chosen differently there might not be a billion mandy so yeah I, i'm cool with the way it went down <laughs> yeah. um what 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 did you gravitate more towards when you were doing your internship was it 
character design? Because I know you said as soon as you got finished, they would give you something else. Hey, you want to try this? Did you like backgrounds? What aspect of animation drew to you the most? Um, I didn't get to do a lot of it during the internship, but but storyboarding and, and storytelling has always been sort of my favorite part of it, the, the writing process. So that's why, kind of what I wanted to get into. Why do you, why do you think that speaks to you so much? Um, I mean, I've always uh, just told visual stories like uh, ever since I was a really little kid I would do these little comic books so it's just always sort of been a part of, of how I've processed the world I guess. Now when you because we brought you've brought up comic books a few times and I'm pretty sure you can see them back there I mean uh, oh yeah yeah you got a nice collection. <laughs> I mean oh, if I could show you the inside of this closet that's over here it's like I mean sitting behind me I've got some racks because I, I just have my long boxes out now um, but I got a rack inside my inside my uh my closet here that's completely full of long boxes and I got another one that I just started my wife consistently says it's a sickness that I'm a pack rat but however <laughs> I like walking into this place because it makes me feel like a kid again when I'm surrounded by all this shit that you know elicited this cool emotion back in the day it puts me back in the mindset where I can sit here and just wax poetically about animation or movies or sports you know not all sports just basketball because that's the only one I'm really interested in um but uh nonetheless man when you started reading comics back in the day, what drew you more? Obviously, you say you really enjoyed the writing aspect. Was writing what really got you into comics, or was it art? And then as you got older, it kind of 50 50 and maybe went to writing. But what was the initial draw as far as comics go? Uh, just as far as like comics that I read as a kid, or? Yeah, yeah. Like what, what was that initial? Like, because you said you would read comics and you wanted to do comics and all this other stuff. But what was it about comics? Was it the art of the story that kind of drew you into that world? Um, I, I think it was the combination of both. Like I, I like, I'd love to draw and, you know, it, it was, uh, I guess just amazing to me that people sort of realize these, these fantasy worlds and these characters just by drawing them. So, you know, a lot of it came out of just tracing other people's stuff and, uh, like even, even like newspaper comics, like Garfield and stuff, like, uh, as a really little kid, I was, you know, into those and I would just you know, make my own versions of, of those like off-brand. There was like an off-brand Garfield named after my uncle's dog, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, what, what uh, out of the big two, I mean, were indie books a real big thing uh, when you started reading or was it just Marvel DC that you kind of gravitated? Um, yeah, when I was a kid, it was just Marvel and DC. Uh, yeah. Really like image and stuff didn't come around until I was in college. Mm -hmm. What what uh, titles from Marvel and DC would you really enjoy reading? Um, I I also didn't have a consistent subscription or anything. So once a year, uh, my parents for Christmas would get me this hundred pack of comics from like the Sears catalog, <laughs> and it would just have random like a random mixture of Marvel and DC. So like I kind of learned who everybody was, but like I never got like the full story. <laughs> Which was kind of cool in a way because I had to sort of like make up my own version of what might happen next. Uh, but yeah, it'd be like, you know, I'd get like one alpha flight where I'd be like, whoa, there's a Yeti and Spider-Man's in this. And then like the next year I'd be like, I guess Spider-Man's not in it. I don't know. <laughs> it's always crazy because it, especially like today, um, boredom is completely taken out of kids' hands because with streaming, with phones in our pockets, with iPads, all this other crazy shit that we have we're not bored as much as we used to be. I know me, I'm only 30, I'll be 32 in August. And I know if I ever told my mom I was bored, 
she would either tell me to go outside and do something or I would just get a you know a book full of chores and shit to do so you always knew don't say I'm bored um, but the good thing about being bored is because is it forces that noodle up there to, to come up with something to keep you entertained and I don't want to say that's going to be lacking in you know today's day and age because there's always going to be creative people yeah always but, man we were we were talking a little bit earlier about 2020 and and let me tell you like just my brain was so full of of just mess <laughs> in 2020 that I was like I, I want to be bored yeah. and so uh I've, I've kind of been into like gardening and succulents and stuff for the last couple of years but like I, I went in uh, hard on that last year and it's just like go outside and just like plant some things and, and quiet down and <laughs> get well, bored that's well, what it's some, all about sometimes you gotta have that that uh what's it called you gotta have that balance right you gotta have that work you gotta have that play but you also gotta have that relax that that r and r is very very essential because it shuts your brain down it makes you come back to normal or come back to level essentially because if we're just consistently and you can talk about it like story writing too if you're consistently writing not so much at a pace as far as getting stuff down but if your story is consistently just pulling at the heartstrings nonstop for 22 minutes right every episode four five six seven eight ten seasons you know it's going to be not only hard to keep that pace but it's going to be hard to have somebody emotionally attached because if you're always like, oh shit, this dude's going to die this episode. This dude's going to die this episode. Eventually you're like, oh man, he's made it, you know, 57 episodes. He's not going to die obviously. Um, but, but, you know, gardening is so fantastic because you get out in the sun, right? You get to, to plant something, put it in the ground and you watch something grow. Very rarely do we get to see something from the start to the finish like that. And I do the or, same. Or, uh, or I kill it and it's, I get to the finish much quicker. <laughs> Well, as long as you don't overwater or underwater or just leave something that is only supposed to have an hour of sun and you leave it out there all day, like Florida is notorious, right? We got weird planting seasons. We either do late fall, early spring because it's just so damn hot here. And these squirrels, I've, I've had so many acorns just buried into my planters out here. My dogs rip them out of the ground. So now I had to do uh, above ground planters and all this other stuff. Gardening is a fantastic way to really just slow down the pace. Um, but as we were talking just a little bit ago, man, uh, when you get that call or you get walked into that office, right, do you essentially, where do you go after Blues Brothers? Uh, the, the streets. Uh, it's <laughs> been uh, pretty much every time I've, uh, I guess, left a job, it takes about six months to find another one for mm -hmm. whatever reason. Uh, so, yeah, I just sort of uh, went back, retooled my portfolio. You don't really have portfolios like physical portfolios like that anymore. Uh, yeah, we were talking about like things, uh, the, the miracle of modern communication uh, earlier. And uh, like, yeah, it's so nice not to have to like lug around 20 pounds of paper and just like have, you know, and, and people had like original portfolios back then. Like you'd have your originals, which were the good ones. And like, you'd give that to the, the studio you really wanted to go to. And then you'd have copies that you'd send around. And uh, yeah, I remember like, uh, one of my my original portfolios ended up at Nickelodeon and they just lost it. <laughs> and like years later, like literally two or three years later, they were like, hey, come down. We uh, we found a portfolio. And I was like, really? You found my portfolio from years ago? And they were like, yeah, we guess. And then by the time I got down there, it was gone again. <laughs> is it normal for you guys to get your portfolios back or is it something that they just 
get rid of. Uh, yeah, back then, you were, ideally, you would like give it to uh, – they'd have somebody kind of in charge of portfolios, so they would log it in and, and show it around to different uh, productions. And uh, once everybody had seen it, uh, whether whether they got a job or not, the portfolio would go back to the, the okay. owner. That's, that's cool, man, because I, I assumed you just it's something that you just had to write off at the end of the year for taxes. Like, yeah, man, I gave my portfolio. I had to go build another one and all this other crazy shit. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting and it's nice to know that you get your work back that you just you really tooled over and just right. And then your resume and shit like that, you know, you put your heart and soul into it. Um, so what was the next job after that? I mean, I think, did you start working on cow and chicken right after that? Uh, yeah, that, that was it. Uh, I think I did, I was, I did, uh, a couple of storyboards for a show called Puccini's Yard that came was coming out of canada and uh i did it all over fax machine oh so i would do the storyboard and then i would like fax it and you know three hours later i would get a receipt that had come out all fuzzy and i would do it again <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah the next uh you know i guess boots on the ground job was uh, cow and chicken for Hanna barbera it's fantastic. I've uh, I've actually talked to David uh, David Feiss and Fred Seibert as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been waiting to get a couple more creators on here because I wanted to do an entire like six eight weeks of just releasing episodes with you know you and David Feiss. I've been trying real hard for Danny. I'm pretty sure he's just he has nothing to do. He wants nothing to do with it, which is perfectly fine. I know he gets asked all the time. But um, now I've got a few of you creators, so I'm going to release those episodes concurrently. So it's just building up that, in my opinion, what you guys did in the area you guys really worked in, for me, was just a cartoon renaissance. I mean, uh, I usually, whenever I have a Cartoon Network guy on, or girl, excuse me, um, I I, I like this one because it's got the entire first run of of the Hanna-Barbera and the What a Cartoon, Cartoon, Cartoon Shorts, all those from the Ed Boys to Powerpuff Girls, Billy and Mandy's on there with Grimm, um, of course, Cow and Chicken with David Feist and Encourage and all these other crazy things. So I always like wearing that, um, especially when you guys come on, because that that time, like I said, was a cartoon renaissance. That time was a boom. That time, uh, just for me specifically, and so many other fans like myself, was huge with the with the cartoons that you guys were creating. I mean, I don't think we'll ever see something like that again. I mean, I hope we do. Um, but you guys set a standard in the industry that is very hard. You guys set a bar really, really high. And I don't think anybody's come close, at least to that caliber and that level and that amount of cartoons that came out that were just spectacular. There were some stinkers in the, in the shorts and stuff like that. I enjoyed almost every single one that I've seen. Um, but when you're working, Cowan, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're working Cowan Chicken, and you, is that when you start working? you know, at nighttime or on the weekends on Billy and Mandy, or how does Billy and Mandy start coming into the fold as far as shooting it and trying to get it made for Cartoon Network? Um, since the moment I, I moved to Los Angeles, I was pitching yeah. things like before I even had the, well, probably not before the internship, but uh, like during that internship, I was, you know, trying to pitch shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had a, I had a superhero show and uh, some other space show uh, and it wasn't until like mid first season of Cow and Chicken that uh, somebody, one of the production people at Hanna-Barbera was just walking around and they were like, hey, do you have anything you want to pitch? Because we're doing a new batch of, you know, these cartoon shorts. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so um, 
yeah, I had a couple things I'd been working on, and uh, so I showed him the the superhero cartoon, which was called Milkman, <laughs> and uh, he was like basically just a carton of milk. And on the bat, this doesn't make any sense in in modern context, but uh, like in the old days, they used to put like pictures of missing kids on yeah. the back of milk cartons. <laughs> so like basically, he would just like find missing kids by like you know looking at the back of his head with the mirror. <laughs> And seeing the you know who was missing and then going and finding them and obviously like that was never going to happen like nobody's ever going to make that into a cartoon. <laughs> never. Say but never. Uh, yeah, but uh, in there as secondary characters were Billy and Mandy. So uh, somebody, some executive at Cartoon Network was like, "Hey, I, I like the look of these two. Like, what else? You know, what's their their deal?" And I was like, "Well, if I actually did make a Billy and Mandy show, like, I feel like it's it's missing." like a key ingredient. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking about the other ideas I had. And one of them uh, was this potential show about a little girl and the devil or a little girl and the Grim Reaper, because I knew from experience working on Cow and Chicken that Cartoon Network was not into the devil. <laughs> uh, so, so I was like, well, hey, if they're not into the devil, they'll, they'll certainly be into the, the personification of death. <laughs> so I'll try that. If, uh, if, but yeah, I, I put it all in an envelope and, and gave it to uh, one of the production people and it, it disappeared for about six months. And then I just got a response that was like, hey, we, we want to make a short. <laughs> it was a, a bizarre experience. What goes into, so you say it disappears for six months. Is it on the back burner in your mind or is it like, oh shit, they're probably not going to take it. So you're just putting your head down and doing what you need to do. Uh, I think at that point I was probably just doing my work and I had probably mentally moved on to other things. I was thinking about pitching, but yeah. Uh, did, yeah. Did you feel when that initial executive came up and said, Hey man, uh, no on the milkman, but maybe Billy and Mandy and you send it off. Um, do you start thinking like, maybe I need to retool this or maybe I need to rethink this or is that just like I said once you put something out there and you give it to somebody you still physically trying to work on that property or is your brain going like hey man I'll try something else try something new um I mean as far as pitching that goes in that moment I guess like I, I sent them uh, a show bible which was like 10 10 pages of just drawings and story ideas um whatever dumb jokes I thought would fit uh, and, and that was like my best effort at, at, you know, selling that idea. So I probably wouldn't do anything else with it until they rejected it. And then I might be like, well, if I'm going to take this to say Nickelodeon or, you know, wherever else, like what would I have to do to this to make it work there? <laughs> I got you. Uh and I actually, I did pitch Billy and Mandy to one other place, uh, which was Nickelodeon. And they were like, yeah, uh, it's, it, we really like it, but like no one will ever buy this because it's got the Grim Reaper in it. And I was like, yeah, I was kind of worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny. You think about it and you said that you said Cartoon Network wasn't into the devil, right? Right. Yet this guy's bouncing on his ass cheeks every week. I mean, True. cow and chicken. True. I think uh, I think they yeah, I just think it was more than they bargained for. Like, I think they got a bunch of letters from angry religious people as well as people that didn't like butts so it was like a, a you know it's two strikes right there <laughs> what you're saying is as cow and chicken was far ahead of your time because now all anybody gives a shit about is having the fattest juiciest ass everybody's out here so on true. Instagram so true. doing squats so now if david feist pitches this we can get a cow and chicken reboot in 
fuck greased up red guy, he's gonna be, have the the fattest ass, right? So oh yeah, he was um, tricking ten years before <laughs> it was cool. That's phenomenal. Who do you think would win, man? Are we if because we saw Grim doing a dance off? I believe he was doing what was it break dancing in one of the episodes. My mind's super, super foggy. I usually smoke a joint before I talk to everybody, but we were putting some stuff together because that one helps me calm down. It helps me think about shit. Most people, it just puts them on a different planet and then they're just like, ah, I can't think, I can't concentrate. For me, it starts bringing up all these, it starts opening up doors, essentially, is what I'm getting at, Maxwell, where I can go down this road or this road. I start seeing things that shouldn't be there, are there, or parallels and stuff. Um, but I, I want to think that I, I'm pretty sure, did Grim have a breakdance or a dance off with somebody in this series. Do you remember? I, he's definitely had a couple of. I don't know if he ever had like an official dance off with like awards or like high stakes or anything. But he might have. <laughs> if not, I can remember Billy, Mandy, and Grim dancing in front of a cauldron and a schmoo coming out of it. <laughs> and definitely a little bit of dancing during the old school hip-hop episode, but yeah, I don't know. I'm blanking. <laughs> who uh, who do you think, the only reason I bring that up is who do you think is winning? Do you think Grimm is just too flat in the back to win a twerking contest? Or do you think his Rastafarian roots would really pull through and he would just connect with that beat? And drum? <sighs> or do you think the red guy's taking it? That's that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> does, does he have no ass or does he have a magical ass? I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I will say in probably any competition, uh, the cow and chicken devil would eat him alive. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, have you been, ever been asked a question like that before? I want to. I'm trying to break new. Ground. No, that's that's a new one. That's a new one. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, so when I was talking to Rob Renzetti, right, he told me it's one thing to work on somebody else's show, but it's something else once you have your show greenlit. The pressure obviously goes up. The stress is tremendous. You're you know, trying to worry about every single detail, making sure it's perfect because you never know when, you know, you, you never know when they're going to say, Hey man, this was your last story or Hey man, you can't do that. So you want to get your message out there. You want to get whatever's in your heart or whatever's on your head from your head to your paper and your paper to the screen. Um, and he was talking just about all the extenuating circumstances and the stress and the pressure. Did that equate to you? Did you see something completely different like Rob was talking about? Or were you just, I don't want to say you were chill, relaxed and all this other stuff, but what was it like once you started running the show? Um, I mean, there was definitely pressure. I think I tend to put a lot more pressure on myself than other people put on me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there was, there was pressure, but there was also sort of a certain thrill to it at the time. Like, uh, you know, it, it would get my heart pumping and I'd be like, this is exciting. And I don't think I really understood that that wasn't necessarily like physically good for me until like <laughs> yeah. somewhere three or four years into it when I was like, you know, doing all the things, same things that I did uh, when I started out by, by just like pounding con coffee constantly and, uh, you know, not really sleeping. And like, you know, four years into it, I was like, I feel like shit. And I was like, oh, I should probably, you know, <laughs> take a break actually like take care of myself a little bit but uh yeah you know you learn what you've got such an interesting way of looking at things and i really <laughs> enjoy that man um i this is one of my favorite parts of the day not only get to talk to you but just getting to talk with people that is not in my circle on a consistent basis you know not my best friends not my work you know companions not you know my wife and son 
or, you know, I'll talk to my dogs all the time, especially when I can't sleep. I go and get the, the, you know, the dog I showed you before we started this, I'll go and get her and we'll just hang out and shit like that. Watch cartoons. And it's just, it's fun to have somebody to bounce stuff off with. Um, what was the, you know, when you said you were going through all of this, you know, you four years, just running hard. Um, what were some of the things that you liked about that? <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. And what were some of the things you, you didn't like that? Obviously you said, you're like, man, I got to learn to take care of myself a little bit better. Um, what were some of those things that you probably learned if you wouldn't have been, you know, in that position as that creator, that showrunner, um, that you might've not learned, you know, just storyboarding somewhere. Um, I mean, it's, it is an entirely different job. Uh, like, like storytelling is the, I always say that, you know, the, the drawing and the storytelling is that's why I'm there. That's what I love. And the management thing, that's an equal, you know, half, if, if, if not just a third, but uh, it's it's a big chunk of the job, and that's something that I kind of had to train myself to like. <laughs> and still, sometimes I don't like it. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, you know, it's still storytelling. You still got the story you want to tell, but now you actually have the agency to be able to fight for it. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas most of the time, like you do a storyboard, you turn it in. Someone's like, ah, do this, do this, do this, and you're like, yeah. all right, and you do those things, and you're done. <laughs> Uh, but you know, thankfully on Billy and Mandy, I you know I would tell a story and I would show it to the network and they'd be like, well, I'll do this, do this, do this, and I'd be like, well, what if I did this instead? And yeah, so that's just uh, you know you sort of forge relationships with uh, the executives and and uh, I got I got lucky that I had a really good executive and we had a really good relationship, so it really did come down to just like talking things out. There was never really any uh, ultimatums or anything. Uh, no one was ever like, well, yeah, there were times when they were like, yeah, absolutely do not do this. But <laughs> but most of the time, like, we could have a, a real discussion about it before it, it got there. Who who was the executive uh, that was in charge for, for the show? Uh, his name's Jay Bastian, and he's uh, one of the big wigs at Warner Brothers TV animation right now. Okay, I always like I always like giving a shout out when you whenever somebody's got a pleasant experience with somebody, I always like giving them a shout out. You know, makes thank you for yeah, making he's, uh, that show come through. Yeah, he came uh, he came out from uh, I guess pretty much all the Cartoon Network executives came out from Atlanta when the toward toward the final days of Cartoon Network. But yeah, yeah, all of them worked at a what was it a Warner Media not Warner Media excuse me oh, shit I'm, why am I blanking on Ted Turner's name right now Turner Media uh, yeah uh, during that whole during that whole merger. Mm -hmm. uh, when this is going on, you know, you obviously, as you're a storyboard artist, before you get to creating your show, you know, like you just said, you, you, you know, you put up your storyboards, they'll say, hey, change this, change this, change this. Um, what were some of the things, and obviously, you're probably not going to remember, but what were some of the things that, that, that you would notice and you would send back? Would it be, you know, character, to, you know, background, character, you know, poses and stuff like that? But what were some of the things you would look for to say, hey, man, this really isn't what we're looking for right now? go this direction or how would you manage that situation uh just just like that i guess just yeah. talking to, to people about it uh yeah that's really all you can do <laughs> was it difficult you know assuming or coming into that role was it a learning a huge learning curve or was it something that you uh yeah yeah i mean uh, i've always been i don't want to say antisocial or not necessarily shy but uh uh, I get. I guess uh, two years ago now, I, I found out that I have Asperger's. So, 
like I've always just had a, a, a problem with social situations. Just I get really nervous. Uh, so yeah, doing just talking to somebody and giving somebody notes is a grueling and terrible experience for me because <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't like, uh, you know, not that you're tearing people down by giving them notes, but it's just like, it's, I don't know, my body and my brain, some part of my brain think it's a confrontational situation. So it's just, it's a hard thing for me to do. So yeah, getting, getting through that part to the point where I could like functionally run a show uh, is one of the things I think I'm most proud of. <laughs> Well, I mean, you did a fantastic job, and knowing you have Asperger's is insane. There's two two people now that I've talked to um, that I just – like, whenever I do research on you guys, I go and look up, you know, Wikipedia. If you guys got a blog or if you guys got something that you're writing, I try to watch every video you guys have done, so I don't ask you the same stuff that you've always been asked. Um, obviously, there's always some overlap because, you know, you created Billy and Mandy. So I'm going to have to ask you like how that came into your head. And I, I try to phrase it or try to bring up different things or different avenues where it doesn't sound like it's just, you know, another piece of white bread type of thing. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, try to keep it fun and engaging. Absolutely. Um, but when I was talking, and I, I hate name dropping because it makes me sound like a douche. But when I was talking to Billy West, I had no idea that this man had autism. He was on the spectrum. And to know that he had to go through that. And this is before they really knew what autism was or that it was, you know, something that was a, a barrier from, for a lot of people, it's a barrier. Same thing with Asperger's. I know a couple people and just going outside of their house is something that is crippling to them. Being put in a situation where they're around people that they do not know, or they don't trust, or it's just seeing the things that people have to overcome and the adversities that are, they're laid out in front of all of us. And then some adversities for some people are a lot greater than other people. You know, it's just the luck of the dice, the luck of the roll, mm -hmm. you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, hats off to you, man. I mean, there's so many people that, that, that would just crumble, right? And not just, you know, with what they have, you know, and I don't mean to be disparaging or anything like that. You know, there's so many people that would just be consumed. I mean, you saw it during last year, during the lockdown. There's so many people out there, like I just walked by a few people. I don't know why my voice keeps cracking, man. I mean, it feels like I'm back in you're, you're getting emotional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting really emotional. I'm gonna cry on this thing real quick. Um, but uh, you know, it's 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 interesting to see like what fears people have or what, like I said, issues or adversities they have. I mean, I just walked by somebody in the store just a little while ago. They had three masks on. They had gloves. Like the uh, you ever seen? It's gonna be graphic, but you ever seen somebody try to check to see if a cow's pregnant? The gloves. Oh yeah, I uh, I had to do that in really long story <laughs> oh, oh no we got time for that story so please tell me about the time that you had to stick your hand in a cow maxwell uh it was it was sixth grade it was called high trails and they they sent you off into the woods to camp for a couple of days and learn about nature and touch a cow uterus and eat some ants and collect swamp water that kind of stuff <laughs> Man, uh, I've never had ants before. I've had crickets. They're not too, too bad. I've had grass. Ants are, uh, ants are a little bit lemony. Yeah? Yeah. Did It's going to sound like I'm mean. Did you smash them up before you ate them, or did you just throw them down <laughs> raw, raw? I think I smashed them. Yeah? I just, yeah. I just there weren't many. I was yeah. not into the, the idea. No? <laughs> well, if you ever get the chance to try crickets, and I've had them at a few different Mexican spots, re Mexican restaurants and shit, and they toss them in like chili lime salt. They taste like a potato chip because they fry them real hard and stuff. So they're real, real crispy. So it's got the consistency and the texture of a potato chip and chili lime salt's 
delicious on almost everything. I've been meaning to try them. They say we're all going to be eating them in 30 years, so got to get a oh, head start. <laughs> I hope that's not the case because I really love fried chicken, Maxwell. That's my favorite thing to eat in the world, and I don't know if I could have Kentucky Fried Cricket is what I'm getting at. I don't, I don't know if that makes It doesn't seem like it would be the same. No, nah, it probably wouldn't, man. It probably hurt my feelings a lot. Um, well, where were we going before we were talking about <laughs> – Shoving our hands. Uh, hey, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of derails everything a little bit, doesn't it? No, 100%. No, I know where we were at. I'm sorry. Um, you know, we were talking about just the adversities that, that people had to, to, to overcome and all that other stuff. So essentially what I'm getting at, I man, is, is hats off to you, man, because you, you took it. And I don't want to I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like you saw something or you found out something and you still push through it. Like I said, there's so many people that would just fold or cripple or like it's just too much for me, right? but you made it through, man. And you made one of the greatest cartoons of all time. Um, and speaking on Thanks. that, with this cartoon, obviously I asked you this question before we started and I didn't know anything about this person until I got a tweet from somebody, Stuart Snyder, right? Mm -hmm. um, this name got brought up and we don't have to go deep. Like I told you before, we don't have, oh shit, Maxwell's taken off his jacket. Taking off the jacket. He means business now, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, we don't have to go super, super in depth, um, on any of this stuff. It could be just a glancing type of thing. Um, but I did some research on this and it was very superficial research because when I was reading an article, this guy really pissed me off with just how his mind worked, but I don't really look at it as a negative light because everybody's just trying to do what they think is best. Only you can only do what you think is right. And if you think it's right, man, who am I to say, Hey man, you did this wrong, right? Does that make any sense or no? I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, but with this, what was it like, you know, having this discussion where, where the show gets canceled or you finish up, you wrap up what you're doing. Um, I got to imagine that this thing was a ratings hit, right? Billy and Mandy was huge, at least for me. Uh, yeah, we were, we were consistently in the, the top three and somewhere there toward the end, uh, we were doing really well in the, Fred Fredberger, yes era. Yeah, I think that was our last season. What what was that conversation like? And if you don't want to talk about it, it's, it's completely cool because we can we can just uh, you know skate over it and go to something else. What was that talk like? I mean, did they call you in? Was it the same thing as the Blues Brothers, where they're like, "Hey, man, everybody's in suits. You need to wrap up your story." Or how did that go? And if that's too personal, I apologize. Like I said, we can no, it's all right. Uh, no, they they did me dirty. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i uh i uh, i had uh, billy and mandy that was wrapping up so i'm, I'm always going to be thankful for that that we did get to sort of finish out the series uh at that time you know 52 episodes was kind of all you got and we made it yeah. to 76 so hooray <laughs> uh so yeah I, I was happy about that uh and then you know i was excited about the future too though because i had uh Underfist that we just finished and and they were talking about possibly spinning that off into a series and then I had another thing in, in development there as well um, and sort of the sad part is I, I let other opportunities elsewhere go because I was so happy at Cartoon Network <laughs> yeah and then one random day in the not you know too distant future from then uh, everybody get called into the the main conference room uh, and uh, some people from Atlanta that nobody had ever seen before came out and explained why Billy and Mandy was uh, 
problematic for the network and just sort of the the poster child of bad show and what they didn't want. <laughs> and it was just sort of this uh, really ugly dressing down uh, of, of me and of Billy and Mandy, I felt in, in front of the whole studio. And I was so, so like angry and upset after that. And I just remember going out into the hall where, <laughs> you know, the executives that I was used to, uh, they were all out there and they were like, whoa, hey, yeah, I don't know what that was. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, I was I was pretty pissed for a while, and uh, eventually, uh, you know, they they let Craig McCracken go, they let Gendy go, and I was like, well, they're certainly not keeping me at this point, and it's clearly not personal at this point because they're just laying waste to everything, and that's kind of what they did. That's uh, I guess that was like two thousand eight or nine. That's when they yeah. decided that they uh, weren't competing enough with uh, Disney and Nickelodeon's live action and that they needed more live action and less animation. So, you know, it was, it was just sort of an unfortunate series of events. <laughs> uh, just, you know, the timing. Uh, and honestly, uh, as, as I've gone through my career, like this stuff does happen all the time. And, and the real like great part of it was that we had seven years essentially on Billy and Mandy that we didn't have a regime change or we did have two regime changes but you know they were okay <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's just like you know at, at any moment uh, someone can decide that uh, they want to do something else and there's not really much you can do about it. it it just goes to show you the mismanagement is insane in just almost every industry because you've got somebody that thinks like I said you know if this guy a bad guy, I don't know. I don't know him any more than, you know, I know somebody else that I've never met before, right? Um, however, just me being completely taken any kind of biases that I have on this show, because like I said, I love the work you did, man. This, this was so fun as a kid to sit there. And I always wanted some weird ass friend, right? Like Grim. I didn't want the Grim Reaper following me around because I didn't want to shit my pants on a consistent basis because that guy's around. Somebody's dying. I don't want my friends to die, right? But I always wanted like some crazy cool friend that was from like a different world or a different planet. And I got to live vicariously through these two characters, right? Yeah, that was actually sort of my uh, way that I would sort of resell the show anytime I would get, you know, guff from executives. I'd be like, well, this is, that's, kind of what it is <laughs> yeah uh yeah, it's, I, it's just wild that that this happened and even even if this thing made half the ratings that it was making and i got a you said it was top three among everything else and then you find out that they let gendy go and they let craig go i mean gendy's made it back he's you know doing primal now he got to wrap up samurai jack Mm -hmm. phenomenal beautiful shows um i don't want to go down that road rabbit hole because i can talk about that one like Dude is a master of silence i've never seen a show that is so quiet but packs a punch when it comes to emotion and both primal and with samurai jack i mean right beautifully done and to let them just to figure out that, or find out that those two guys let go and then yourself got let go you're just like shit, man. Are you just chopping up my entire childhood? Um, and like, like I was getting on to just a second ago, even if you guys did half the ratings of what you did back then in today's market, 
those same guys that said, hey, you guys have to go home, I don't think they'd be batting an eyelash. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, it, it's – and like I said, this is just me having a perspective on the outside, playing the devil's advocate, if you will, or the red guy's advocate, if you will. Um, it's, it's insane to sit here and think about something that is just topping charts, topping ratings. That's all kids are talking about. That's all kids are watching. I mean, I got to imagine that, that – just the ad revenue that would come in on that show alone or just cartoon network during that era alone would be, Oh shit, we're filling our pockets. Let's just keep it going. If it's not broke, don't fix it. It's just wild to think that, you know, some people that had no business really running a business of animation, trying to turn cartoon network, the first word. Yeah. I I think that's really what it is. Like you can get as mad as you want at those people, but like they were, you know, in charge of not only Cartoon Network, but ESPN and like six other networks. And I guarantee you, they didn't give a shit about the cartoons. <laughs> no. They, uh, you know, they may have looked at uh, Cartoon Network and, and saw that it was like a seventh tier Turner property and been like, well, burn it down, start over. <laughs> but I don't think anybody put any deep thought into to what like the plan was at that point probably not but even if they didn't you would think if it was just numbers that they were looking at not just ratings but numbers the ad revenue alone that was coming in during these blocks of these outstanding shows like i said we just with your name with gendy with craig with john for coward uh for courage excuse me danny antonucci with ed ed and eddie i mean i feel like i'm missing with david feiss with uh cow and chicken um, and then you got Codename Kibbs next door as well, came in on that 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 run. Mm-hmm. And then all of you guys are just like, thank you. See you guys later. It's just wild, man. But I think we've talked enough about that depressing shit. And if I could say anything about <laughs> Good. that. We'll move on to other depressing shit. <laughs> no, a lot of the stuff. What, what starts to come next is fan questions. And, and I've, like I said, I've had, there's like four or five pages here that I've got written down of fans' questions. And it's one of the most well-recepted posts that I've ever done when it comes to having anybody on. I think your, your top three, I don't want to keep saying that number like you did, but your top three for sure. I can't, I don't know where my other books are as far as people wanting to ask you stuff. Um, well, that but, may be uh, true, but the answers are still depressing. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to imagine just from a fan perspective, man, thank you for that. Those guys didn't see what creators like you and everybody else that you named and I named saw right? We saw magic. And that's what you guys did. You guys thought of something up here. It traveled down your arm and onto a piece of paper. Well, I mean, for the most part, now it's digital travels to your iPad, Um, you know, but you guys came up with something that will inspire and continue to inspire generations for here on end. There is no stopping any of these cartoons that you guys worked on. So what I'm getting at is fuck those guys, man. You guys were on point. You guys made up. Thank you. No problem, man. Thank you for what you did. But you guys made us enjoy being kids with the stories and the art you guys were putting out. If it wasn't for you guys, man, I'd probably be into Coldplay. I'd probably. Oh, that's uh, you. You reminded me. I was trying to to think of something earlier. I was I was mid sentence and I sort of lost my train of thought. But yeah, sure. like that that was the whole thing with like Billy and Mandy is like they were supposed to be like, you know, the kids you would want to hang out with for yes. twenty two minutes and not not be role models like that was always my thing it's like they're not role models and i think that was another thing that kind of happened you know uh, around 2008 2010 was like that's the the disney influence sort of leaked out and uh, everybody every character whether they were good or, or the good guy or the bad guy or whoever had to sort of have role model qualities so that that also made it difficult 
it's weird to think that in today's day and age we have to have black and white characters what i mean by that is not race but you have the boy scout let's just take comic books right now right superman right he's the guy he's the beacon of light that everybody looks towards when it's the darkest hour that's the person that you want but it doesn't make sense right because one bad day and we saw it in justice league Zack snyder's cut we saw it in the boys we've seen it invincible one bad day can turn that boy scout into something that nobody saw coming right and that's where you get the real character when you get a superman that doesn't look as people as anything more than commodity or ants right it's just they're they're ever-changing they can shoot out another one in nine months um these people don't matter um you know i don't like those type of characters i like the characters that we were just talking about the ones that are fun the ones that have and play in that gray area they take a little bit from here and they take a little bit from here and they put it on that color that palette and then they make their own color right so that's what i loved about billy and mandy so much is these guys were like they're not talking down to us. They're not making us feel dumb or feel weird to be a kid, man. Cause being a kid is already weird enough, right? Growing up, you got all these hormones going, you know, being an adult is just as weird, but especially for a kid, when you have no outside experience, it's weird. Everybody goes through it. Right. You know, and, and, and this is one of those shows as well as those others creators that we talked about that, that, that really spoke to a lot of us kids so we know what you were doing we appreciate what you were doing those guys just didn't know what they had and they had gold in their hand um and then they just let it turn to fool's gold essentially by letting you guys go but nonetheless man that's neither here nor there i'm glad you made the show you made i'm glad you got to tell your story i hope do you have the rights or is does court cartoon oh, no that's uh yeah that's all cartoon network is there a specific time if they don't do something with it, like with movies, like if, if they don't do a no, movie. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's forever. Uh, like, you know, uh, that, that last Powerpuff Girls reboot, like, I don't even know. I know Craig wasn't really involved. I heard that uh, nobody even told him about it at first. So which is that why. may or may not be true. I don't know. But I mean, uh, it, I, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> no, it, it really wouldn't with the way people just cut it's insane when you really think about like just the shysty stuff or the dirty stuff that happens um, in all walks of life, but especially animation, you know, and that's, like I said, it's not me trying to shit on animation or anything like that, but it's just, no, it, you should be, <laughs> it is like, it has all the problems that the rest of the entertainment industry has, but it also just has like the, who gives a shit factor yeah. of uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not something adults, care about for the most part uh i i think that's been changing over the last decade or two but uh um yeah it's it doesn't have a lot of advocates so you know you got to deal with all the, the usual hollywood nonsense of like deadlines and uh sex creeps <laughs> but also there's like you know just uh it, it's you know it's art it's it is a different sort of thing than a lot of what's on tv and i think a lot of people just don't don't appreciate how long it takes to make and just how much goes into even the simplest you know dumb little seven minute cartoon well that's why i do this podcast because i don't want you guys to go and it it sounds very egotistical of me to say something like that but when i told you i would watch shows and i would see the credits and i, I want why don't i know this guy's name or this girl's name why don't i know them yet i know what they work on right 
That's why I do this. I want to be an advocate, not only just for animation, but anybody else I find interesting. I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into saying, hey, this is only an animation podcast. That's why it came up with what's in my head podcast. My wife and I, I was trying to think of a name and I didn't want to go the animation route, even though I knew that I love cartoons so much because I wanted to keep it broad. I want to keep it open. Mm-hmm. Something that, if, oh, if you don't like cartoons this week, you could talk music next week or talk to a doctor next week. Some, you know, some crazy shit. And we're driving around and I'm pretty sure you remember the, uh, the band, uh, the Cranberries. And then that zombie song came on. Right. Right. And then the chorus is going, what's in your head or what's in my head or some shit like that. What's in your head is what it was saying. And then my wife's driving and then she slaps me in the arm. She's like, that's the name of your podcast right there. <laughs> and I was like, zombies. And she's like, no, listen to the chorus and it starts going in. And she's like, she's like, you've always got some weird shit going on in your head. You go off on these tangents and all this other stuff. Use that name. And I'm like, I like that. Cause it doesn't say I'm just going to talk about X, Y, or Z. Right? So, and like I said, that's why I want to be that advocate for you guys, because like I said, you should have gotten treated a hell of a lot better than what you are. You made so many kids lives worth something worth a damn. I'm pretty sure you've, you hear it all the time. Like I would have done this, that, or the other, if it wasn't for your show, your show made it cool to come home and just veg out after a long, hard day, man you were a spotlight. You were that role model that you didn't want those characters to be, or you knew those characters weren't being, you know, you gave some, so many people something great to look at, man. And thank you for that is what I'm getting at. Um, yeah. Maybe I don't take compliments. Well, <laughs> that's, that's, that's perfectly fine, man. Just as long as oh, he, he's hanging on, he was sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Kitty. So, oh, um, no, he's, he's still there, I guess. <laughs> oh, he'll hang on for dear life. Yeah. It's sort of uncomfortable. Let's see yeah. what I can do. Yeah, he's he's for sure gonna claw the shit out of you. This is uh, yeah, this isn't a video podcast, is it? So uh, it is, but nope. I can pause it real quick. Oh. All right, man, they they've added some stuff. Can you hear that when they said reporting? Yeah, I that's that is new. Yeah, that's weird, man. Um, interesting. Uh, well, it I makes somebody sense. must have gotten recorded when they didn't know they were getting recorded. Uh, there were so many people caught with their pants down, pun intended, last year with Zoom. Um, so it's 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 weird now. Um, but. This is my second favorite part of the podcast, and that's getting to ask all the fans questions. My first part is having you guys get to come on. I get to have you, you know, for a little bit of time before I get to let everybody else have you, right? So when I told you earlier, you got a lot of questions here. We'll get to as many as we can, um, because I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, But the first one is from Sun and Ten. What was your least favorite aspect of the show that you were able to change? other than thick outlines. I guess somebody said that you just didn't like thick outlines on your characters. Yeah, it was, you know, there's there's stuff that I did in the pilot that I wouldn't have continued to do uh, if they hadn't aired the pilot. I don't know. I didn't really know what I was doing, obviously. And, <laughs> you know, because like I, yeah, I was 23 years old. And so I just was like, uh, I, w- I was really kind of into the UPA style, as was everybody, but it wasn't really natural for me to do. Mm. So I just kept kind of drawing in my my own rubbery way, but I put like this thick outline around it, which looked fine, you know, on paper. But uh, yeah, in, in motion, I ended up not liking it. And over the seasons, you can kind of see it get whittled away. The... Uh, but the question was not about that. <laughs> Oh, that's perfectly fine, man. I love you bringing up UPA. UPA is one of my favorite production companies. I, I, I absolutely, their color palette is phenomenal. I love, especially in the Mr. McGee, their backgrounds were so beautiful. I love it when people bring up UPA. And I, I'm so glad. I, I can't remember. I can't, uh, shit. 
just butchered that one. I can't believe I didn't ask you what some of your biggest influences were. Um, oh, you did. We talked about it. I, uh, you know, I, I went to Warner Brothers, and I probably would have come around to UPA eventually. Oh, okay. If we kept talking about it, but oh, yeah, it, it's it's in there. <laughs> it's it's a fantastic company. Um, Andre D12 wants to know how was it working with Tom Warburton on the Kids Next Door and Grim Crossover. It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it was great uh i was basically wrapping up uh, uh billy and mandy's big boogie adventure and our last couple of episodes of the series and it was all kind of overlapping because that's the only the only way you could get like the the privilege of doing a, a long form thing was to kind of do it on top of the thing you were already doing and, and yeah. thereby save enough money to make it worthwhile mm -hmm. so i i was just like burnt out and uh Warburton comes up and he's like, hey, you want to do a crossover? And I was like, uh. <laughs> he was like, come on, like, you want to have to do much? And, uh, you know, we, we'll have this person, this person storyboarded. And uh, he kind of just talked me into it. So we, we got together uh, over the phone for the most part and, and talked about the script. And uh, he would come out, uh, Cartoon Network would fly him out, I think, once a quarter or, mm -hmm. or twice a year or something like that for a like his inaugural record. Uh, so yeah, during that that time, we kind of worked it all out. And uh, yeah, we, it was sort of my first remote production, I guess, uh, in a way. And yeah, once once it was all uh, done and the picture came back, Cartoon Network flew me out to New York and we did the post-production together out there. It was nice. Uh, I don't usually have like a production buddy. So uh, a lot of the time I'm sort of the... the writer, producer, uh, director, but uh, which is fun in its own right. But it's also nice to have, you know, someone else to bounce things off of. <laughs> Were, was that something that just, you know, you guys spitballed and then it just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger as far as like coming up with a story? Or did, you know, did he have a, an initial idea to do a crossover? Because he came to you and said, hey, you want to do a crossover? But did you guys have to flush out an entire thing or did he already have some semblance of an idea of what he wanted to do and then you guys just collaborated at, at that point i don't know i don't know if he had it from the get-go but yeah it was sort of this the seed of that whole thing of uh you know the the way they would cross over and the sort of the giant grim reaper yeah uh mech at the end that was all part of his initial sort of pitch to me <laughs> well i'm glad it got made man um, some of these names are a little bit difficult, so I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. I think this one's Il Druvenir, and like I said, if, I'm sorry if, uh, if, I, if I butcher your name. Who is the true keeper of the Reaper? Hmm. You know how I said I wasn't working on anything earlier? I kind of lied. Yeah? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I mentioned that, uh, I found out I had Asperger's, and, uh, it's made me reflect on on my life and the decisions I've made and, and the way I am. And I realized that like that's very much where Billy and Mandy came out of as well. So I am writing a, a Billy and Mandy sort of movie. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody's asked for this. Like I can't say it's ever going to be on the air, but uh, I'm working on it and it does answer that question. <laughs> Beautiful, man. Um, before we or after we wrap up, if you got like two minutes, I want to talk to you real quick. Um, sure. Just, you know, some uh, some stuff, right? But 
nonetheless, man, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, this one's a hard one. Baca, oh, shit. Baca, I'm just gonna read it that one. I can't. I can't read the rest of it. Which episode was the hardest to write for? I don't like asking those type of questions, but I got to imagine that if it was super difficult for you to remember or super difficult for you to write, you'd probably remember. Is there one that sticks out that might have just been too hard? Uh, Billy and Mandy was a premise driven show. So that that meant that uh, basically I I would write most of the episodes, uh, not as scripts, but as outlines. So it would be I would try to keep it to a page if I could, uh, just a typed page. Uh, and it would be an 11 minute episode and I would have like 20 of these or whatever and I would stick them in a, a little outbox on my door and uh, the artist would come by and pick out you know, a handful and read them and decide which one they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and they would, they would take over kind of the writing from there. Uh, so for me, unless, unless it was something like I always uh, tried to storyboard a couple of my own each season and there were certain episodes that I did get, you know, passionate about that I wanted to see executed in a specific way. And I would try to do those ones myself if I could. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, the, the frustrations with writing on Billy and Mandy just came from running out of time because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you give it to a board artist and they have four weeks to do a board. Uh and we would we would pitch it, I think, the third week. Uh, so, um, you know, if if something goes wrong and executives don't like it, and you have to change something, like we did, occasionally come to the point where like you just don't have any time, and you have yeah. to let something go that, that you don't feel good about. Um, and I think probably a couple of my least favorite episodes are, are like the very last ones, mm -hmm. uh, just because we were working on so many other things at the same time like uh, uh billy and mandy's big boogie adventure and uh kind of the beginnings of, of underfist and uh i i don't know i i blame myself uh, i blame myself for everything but uh yeah just uh, there's like that one with uh, the camera that takes a picture of people's souls and uh i don't i don't hate the one where billy has the mexican wrestler brother uh but that could it could have been better <laughs> uh Little Studio Planet One wants to know, is there any series or properties out there that you'd be interested in adapting and putting your own spin on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which ones speak to you the most? Uh, no, I, I had a blast on Scooby-Doo. Uh, under the right circumstances, I would love to come back and do more Scooby-Doo. Um, I mean, yeah, just uh, I, I think my thing has always been like, why remaking everything like i just feel like the world is drowning in remakes sometimes but that's you know that's the world so uh i, I was really against working on like library properties for a long time and now i'm i have sort of come around to like try to figure out which ones i, I feel like it would be right for and i do feel like i, I enjoy scooby and and uh it would be fun to do something you know warner brothers related with those classic characters uh I did uh, a little dip into Thunder the Barbarian on the, the second uh, Scooby-Doo that I worked on, and I would love to go back and do more with him at some point in the future. <laughs> that would be really, really fun. Um, who's your shaggy, red shirt or green shirt? Oh, green shirt shaggy. Really? Green's my yeah, favorite I, it's, it's impressed on me somehow. Yeah, <laughs> green's my favorite color, but there was something about the reluctant werewolf that, that just struck me so so much as a kid i loved 
um, that 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 era, I guess. Um, AP underscore Green Penguin, great name. Uh, they want to know. Um, well, we already talked about that because you just mentioned it. So he was asking if um, any chance of bringing the show back. Um, number five 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 wants to know: Have you tried to contact Cartoon Network to get Underfist greenlit? I mean, yeah, that was over a decade ago, but yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming they mean just to reintroduce them or um, back again. I don't think that they would care. I, I think if if anything, I would have to convince them that Billy and Mandy was worth bringing back, and then you could probably eventually get to Underfist. But I, I think a spinoff of something that they've sort of actively shunned for so long uh, might be a hard sell. It is a completely different regime again now by the way like uh, just this last year everything changed again mm -hmm. um and i'm actually really kind of hopeful for it like it, it sounds like potentially it's a it's a very cool place like i know they're doing another new round of, of shorts and yes. uh yeah so just like the opportunity for for like a new you know generation of people to come in and, and make cartoons that's really cool so How high hopes <laughs> How great would it be if you took that portfolio, dust off that portfolio, Maxwell, and send it into him, but see if we can't get more Billy and Mandy too. That'd be great. Just give him the old stuff you gave him. Um, but uh, see if I can get that uh, portfolio of the Nickelodeon last twenty years ago. <laughs> oh man, could you imagine though? Did I know you said that they lost it again? But did you ever originally, or did you ever eventually get it back completely, or is it still no? It was just mine? gone forever. Oh man, somebody's <laughs> out there. They got it. I guarantee you, it's somewhere. Um, Shadow Chew four one nine wants to know if you could come back in. Well, well, shit, you already answered that one. However, if you could come back and do one last Billy and Mandy movie, we just talked about that. What would it be about? So I don't want you to spoil anything. However, what do you think it would be about, or what would you love to tell if you only had one story left in you of Billy and Mandy? How would you want to wrap that up? I don't really want to, you know, go too much into what you're writing and what you're doing now. Well, like, like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of reboots and sequels, and so knowing that Billy and Mandy is, is sort of a satire, I would assume it would be a highly satirical, yeah, reboot of Billy and Mandy. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, Bastard Son ninety three wants to know what are your thoughts on today's cartoons. Um, it's a mixed bag. I, uh, there's not like a place that I go to for cartoons anymore. Like I, I don't just sit down and, and watch like a batch of Nickelodeon or, or Cartoon Network cartoons. Uh, it's kind of all over the map. Like there's some, some adult stuff I like, some kids stuff I like. Uh, what are some of the things that strike out right now to you that you watch or you really enjoy watching? Oh, uh, I mean, uh, Rick and Morty's hilarious. That's fantastic. Top tier adult stuff. Um, I haven't seen uh, a lot of the, the brand new Cartoon Network stuff. Uh, like I, I kind of fell off toward the end of uh, Steven Universe. So yeah, that's that's a mystery area to me. I feel like I don't really have like a, a kid's cartoon series I'm watching right now. Mm -hmm. I actually never have seen The Legend of Korra, so I think that's the next on my list. My my friends bugging me about that. Spoiler alert, me neither. I just started watching The Last Airbender, but to be fair, there was so many great stuff coming in on Cartoon Network when that was out. I didn't have time for Nickelodeon. 
So sorry. Yeah, so that there's yeah, there's some of that I'm doing too, where it's like I'm I'm going back into the past and watching things that I didn't watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I could remember the name. I uh, it's it's visually stuck with me. It's like poo 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 car or something. It's uh this weird Japanese like stop motion looking cartoon. I think it's actually CG, but it's about uh, guinea pigs that are cars. <laughs> and there's like people that get inside them and drive. It's weird. It's so weird, but yeah. I, I, I don't know what they're saying, but I like it. <laughs> I think it was, was it Kia, the hamsters and stuff that would dance and shit in those cars back in the early 2000s? Maybe it was Kia or hamsters. That's what the, was the first thought I came of, or the first thought that came to mind when you started talking about fucking gerbils turning into cars wild shit out there uh if i can give you one recommendation uh, i don't know if you've watched yeah. it, but regular show have you watched that one? Oh yeah yeah i uh i don't really know jg well but i know jg yeah. yeah that is a phenomenal that cartoon specifically got me back into animation i don't know what it was i do know what it was it was my little kid is probably four years old and we started watching the show after my last deployment my third deployment in a row um, we started watching the show when I came home and it was, it's very hard to come home, you know, from being gone eight, nine, ten months. Um, and then your kid just growing up, you know, I mean, especially yeah, those first, it was wild, man, because I leave my first deployment and he's not talking. He's like two months old. I come back and he's already said his first words. He's already walked, you know, he's already fell and then, you know, got his first cut and all this other stuff. So I missed so much of, of his life. Um, and it was so difficult coming home and trying to just be the new guy, right? Because he was always attached to mom because mom had to play both roles while I was gone, right? And I tried everything to to just like get a relationship. It's not like we didn't have any relationship, but it was very difficult. It was like, what is this? Why is this roommate here talking to me, right? That's what it kind of felt like. It felt like being a roommate with, you know, my son, Um and then he was watching cartoons one day and he flipped through and the regular show. And I see this fucking raccoon throwing his arm up going, whoa. And I'm like, whoa, change it back, change it back, change it back. And he started watching. He's like, you watch this? And I was like, no, but do you? And he's like, yeah, it's funny. And we started watching it. And then it was the coolest thing, man, because I would come home and we would have these storm doors, right? So we had the door open, these glass storm doors. And then he knew I got home around the same time almost every single day. So it was pre-programmed in his head. He's like, I'm gonna wait by the door and dad sees me. I'm gonna throw my little arm up and we're gonna go, whoa. And it would be funny because he would he would wait till he sees me and I see him like doing a little dancing type of thing. He's like, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. So he throws his hand up and he starts screaming, whoa. And then I would point to him and I'd do it too. And if I didn't do that, he would do it until I did it, right? So I'd walk in, I'd put my stuff down. He's just going, whoa, my wife hated it. It was the most <laughs> annoying thing in the world to him. But it was a little bonding thing that we did. And, and I'll be ever grateful for that show, for not only for getting me back into animation, but to give and bridge a gap that that I had with my son because of me just being gone on a consistent basis. So I always try to tell everybody, if you haven't watched that one, watch that one. Just yeah, to- yeah. I, f- I feel like JG he succeeded uh, at, at something I always wanted to do, which was sort of find the perfect mix between like a kid's cartoon and a sitcom. Like it, the, if I ever go to Comic-Con and there's like uh, somebody comes up to me and they're like, Hey, I, you know, I watch your show with my kid. Like that's, that's the number one for me. Like that's, yeah. that's where I'm happiest. I think so. Yeah. Ideally, you know, I, I know it's a, it's a little, it's got some butts, it's got some farts, but 
Yeah. Hopefully it's a show for everybody. Uh, well, if it, if it makes you feel any better, I've been having my son watch everything that I watched growing up because I want him to understand like how great cartoons are and how great they were. <laughs> Why is daddy this way? <laughs> Why is daddy crazy? Let me show you the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy and you'll see where my moral compass is. Um, but, but no, like, so he's seen, uh, I think we're on season two, I think. HBO Max is fantastic because they got everything so i've been showing him a little bit of everything and, and he he really enjoys billy and mandy so you've got another generation of kids coming up on your shows um but uh getting back to it um jl delbert wants to know oh no excuse me kz artist wants to know what did you originally have planned for finishing the show or was what you did what you originally wanted to do it just came a little bit sooner um i mean as far as finishing Billy and Mandy goes, like we got more time than I ever thought we would get. Like once we, we passed 52 episodes, I, I was in shock. Like, uh, and I never really had a plan for an ending because uh, just the, the nature of seven minute and 11 minute cartoons in those days were that you really weren't allowed to change anything like yeah. ever because the idea was out of that batch of 52 or 76 episodes, uh, the networks need to be able to pick out any one of them and air it in, in any order they please. So there couldn't be really a story stringing it together. Uh, and even though like over, it's it's something I've always been interested in is, is more serialized storytelling. It's just, uh, that wasn't on the menu. Uh, so I did get to slip in little things that we built on over time, like uh, Irwin's lineage and uh, Nurgle Jr. getting born. That was always kind of in the plan, but I didn't even put that in the Bible because I knew they would make me take it out <laughs> just because it was like a radical change to the, you know, the structure of the show. But I got to say, I am deathly afraid of spiders and the only one that I would never squash. And I don't kill spiders. I have my wife that's pregnant and my son do it because I'm, that is one of the most crippling fears that I have. I don't know what it is about them. I got bit when I was real young. Maybe that's what it was, but I see them and I break, like, I start getting, like, a sweat on my back. Like, it's just something about them. And Jeff the Spider is the only one that I would not squash. So I appreciate oh, he, he would appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so J.L. Delbert wants to know, what was the decision to split Grim and Evil into two shows? Was it ratings? And I'm, I'm assuming he's talking yeah, Grim and Evil. Um, was it ratings slash popularity of, Billy and, of the Billy and Mandy segments? Or was it they just wanted more shows? Um, it was actually, um, I, I was saying uh, about seven, seven and 11 minute cartoons earlier. Um, it was a shift in the way Cartoon Network was producing things in that they, they used to do seven minute cartoons. Uh, so you get three seven minutes per half hour. Uh, and generally it would be Dexter's Lab, Dialyme for Monkey, uh, Dexter's Lab. So there would be what we'd call a middle cartoon uh, and Cow and Chicken had that too with I Am Weasel. Yeah. Uh, so when Billy and Mandy started, they were like, well, I, I had already done the pilot for Evil. So they were like, well, do you want Evil to be your middle cartoon? And I was like, yeah, can we call the show Grim Evil? And they were like, yeah, because <laughs> that's going to sell. Uh, but we did it. And uh, uh, yeah, so I, I think, uh, I, I don't, maybe that had something to do with it too. But at one point they were like, hey, we want to, you know, split the shows uh, into their own thing. So because we're doing, you know, 11 minutes now and, and we don't want to have just one one Billy and Mandy and one Grimm because, you know, Billy and Mandy was, I think Billy and Mandy was doing better in the ratings, but uh, so basically they, to Cartoon Network 
Brooks credit, uh, they did give me the choice of which series to continue full time. Uh, so what we did was, uh, yeah, it got split into uh, The Grim Adventures, Billy and Mandy and Evil Concarne. And they let us finish out one season uh, of Evil before letting it go. And that was, I think that was partially just budgetary stuff. But on my end also, it was just like, it was so much work doing kind of those two series at the same time that after one season of that, I was like, I was okay with letting Evil go. Um, thank you. Uh, so, Rock for the Beat, thoughts on Has Been Hotel, and more specifically, Hell of a Boss. I know you made a cameo in the former. I guess I would just want your take on the two shows. What do you uh, I've made cameos in both of them now. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, no, it's great. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's incredible what Vivian's managed to do uh, with, you know, just talent and the, the internet it's like getting getting that many people behind you to, to support something and then to be able to produce like a cartoon on your own uh, of that quality is that's incredible like yeah kudos to her like it's uh if i had the wherewithal to to uh social media <laughs> that's i would recommend doing it like it's it's you know i i, I think she's uh you know, she's uh, not not everybody can just step in and do that, obviously. But uh, I got you. awesome, awesome. Um, Twenty one nasty Naz wants to know, or no, he doesn't want to know anything. He just wants to say big thanks for the show. It was huge for me. Um, Moving hold wants to know, and this one was an interesting one. Uh, have you heard of Robert Anton and Wilson or Discordy Scordianism? They jokingly have Eris as the goddess, and I was wondering if that inspired your version of the character at all. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I have read those. Uh, I do love Greek mythology, but I also love absurdist, surrealist yeah. literature. So yes, it's it's all of those things. Beautiful. Um, and then his second second question was, what is your favorite joke that Cartoon Network didn't let you do? <laughs> I wish that I had written these down because there were some good ones. Yeah. Uh, but the ones I really remember were less, I mean, sometimes like I, I really wanted to do uh, Billy and Mandy versus the Martians as our <laughs> big, uh, our big finale video. Uh, and they didn't let me do it. And I did it as an episode. And after I did that, I was like, I think they were right. <laughs> uh, but like, as far as just jokes go, like I, I don't remember any jokes that I really love that I had to let go off the top of my head. Mostly I just remember the ones that are just like stupid standards notes that we got that, yeah. that are, you know, it's it's just a dumb throwaway joke that gets turned into some horrible sex joke by standards. <laughs> now, this is one that I wanted to know and it just thought about, uh, I don't know why I didn't think about it when I asked you the crossover earlier. Kids Next Door is one of those ones that like if, if you had every cartoon that was on during that time and you said, hey, man, we're going to take two of these cartoons into a crossover. Kids Next Door wouldn't have been the one because it was just it was so different. You guys played with, you know, mythology. You guys played with the Grim Reaper and all these other crazy things that were going on. The one that stood out to me that that I don't want to say it should have been. Um, because I enjoyed the crossover that you guys did with Kid Next Door. Um, but were any of the other shows 
did they reach out or anything like that and possibly do a crossover? I figured courage. And I don't know if courage was still going on when you guys were, were going at least in the later half of you guys' series. Um, but I feel like that one would have been a perfect one because courage dealt in the supernatural and the spooky shit. I mean, did anybody else reach out to you other than um, Kurt courage was uh, like you said, I think it was mostly wrapped by the time we, we hit sort of our midpoints. Uh, so I don't think it would have really gotten on anybody's radar, mm-hmm. uh, though it would have made more sense. <laughs> it would have been fun, but, uh, yeah, as time went on, and I, I think uh, just as everybody shows kind of matured uh, and everybody watched each other's stuff, like I think they pretty much all crossed over at least a couple times. We had the the big official uh, crossover with the the aliens and the cheese. I can't remember what they called that, uh, but that was pretty much all the shows. And uh, there were a couple times. I know there was like a power puff where they borrowed Mandy for something, and uh, of course we borrowed uh, the Powerpuff Girls world in their clothes at least for a billion Mandy. <laughs> so, no, I just I, I thought of it. If we go back in time, I'd love to see that crossover. Um, I think this is just GOHS seven. There will be a remake, hopefully one day. Um, Zentopia three one four one five wants to know: Was Mandy ever happy in her life, uh, or was that an alternative character in an alternative universe? If she would have been happy, hmm. this is also a question that is answered in the thing I'm currently writing. <laughs> Beautiful. We'll, we'll put a pin in that one. Did Billy and Mandy? But I will say, how do you know she's not happy right now? Oh, yeah, there you go, Zentopia31415. How do you know? Um, He's got a couple here, or she, excuse me, I apologize. Uh, Did Billy and Mandy ever change as they got older? Is that one explained? Uh, Maybe, but I I will say it was never my intention originally to age them at all. (laughs) They They were always supposed to just be perpetually young, whatever age they are, which I also never defined, much like their last names. Um, already answered that one. Uh, while creating Grimm, did you ever feel a connection to the supernatural, and did Grimm ever visit you? Mm, no. <laughs> That's a good thing. I've talking. always, uh, yeah, I've always kind of wanted to like see a ghost or a UFO, but mm-hmm. it's just not. Not it's the just car. Not freaking real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nerd Festerio wants to know. You've got some current projects you're working on for sure. Um, is, but is there anything else we haven't talked about that you can talk about? I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. At any given point, I'm always thinking about something. There's a thing that might be a video game or might be a show. If I don't know. Could, if you could do either one, I mean, would you... Would you want to try video games or do you just want to stick to cartoons and animation and stuff like that? Um, I don't know. It's uh, I, I think I am getting it to a point in my career where I, I'm aging out of the, the main pool of, <laughs> okay. of employees. Like uh, it, it is a young person's business and then, uh, you know, it's getting, I think, harder as time goes on to find reasonable employment. So I don't know. I, I wonder sometimes what I can do to, you know, just keep, keep, my stories going and keep being able to that was sort of what dead meat was all about was just my my attempt to i guess take take control back from the uh the entertainment industry and do my own thing so uh that 
didn't work out, but I do have plans to do something. <laughs> but yeah, I, I started out uh, in college working on video games. Uh, I used to know C plus, and I don't remember jack shit anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, uh, I've been experimenting around a little bit with stuff like that. There was a, a Bible that I sort of dumped on the internet for a show called uh, The Upward Expedition that actually came out of a video game that I was thinking about designing. So I don't know. I don't know exactly where it's going to go, but I think I'm just now getting to the point where post dead meat, I can think about doing something again and not want to like throw up in my mouth. <laughs> I love your honesty, man. You're a fantastic <laughs> person to talk to. Uh, Kids WB wants to know, and I don't, I don't know where he's going with this one. So you might be able to, um, Maybe to flesh this one out. Uh, thoughts on Dexter's lab. I don't really know what he means by that. Um, did you ever try putting main characters as a cameo in your show like they did with Powerpuff Girls, Johnny Bravo, and Foster? So I'm assuming it's a small crossover like we just talked about. But were there any other characters or any other shows that they wanted to take Billy and Mandy and put them in that you know of? Uh, no, I, I know some of that happened after I left. Like I think they showed up in uh, like a gumball or a maybe a Steven Universe or something. I'm not entirely sure. I know I've seen a couple of screenshots, but uh, yeah, that's about all I can think of. Um, Sonic the something hedge. I don't know what that is. Uh, where was the big change changes or oh, excuse me, big Chungus episode. And have you seen the Buenos Dias Mandy video? I don't know what the big Chungus video is. Okay. I have seen the Buenos Dias Mandy thing. Yes. Is it worth, is it worth watching? Uh, is, I think it's just a comic book or a series of comic panels. Okay. And it's, it's NSFW. <laughs> <laughs> um, you brought up Dead Meat just a minute ago. Um, did your experience with Dead Meat completely and permanently put you off of crowdfunding projects? It should, <laughs> but is, is that a world I can afford to live in is the thing. Like, uh, I don't know. I'm still digging myself out of the dead meat hole to some degree, but uh, like looking like that's the thing with like, uh, you know, hell of a boss and, and what Vivian's doing is like, like it shows you the potential of what you, you can do with crowdfunding. But uh, like, I, I think, you know, if, if I were more integrated into the internet and if I enjoyed, you know, talking to people and messaging people at odd hours, I could do something like that. It's it's more of a question, I guess, of would anybody trust me to crowdfund something after a flop? <laughs> and uh, do I feel good enough doing that myself? And yeah, I don't know. It's 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 not something I'm going to say no to because yeah. I, I do very much still want to tell stories and, and do things. It's just I got to find a sustainable way to do it whenever that is it's understandable man and i want and myself and so many fans want to hear the stories that you want to tell i can promise you that um simon's ups wants to know um which character in grim res resonates with you personally the most um i've always said that they're all three all three of the mains are, are different aspects of my personality so it is very hard to narrow in on one yeah uh which per we'll do it this way. Which personality traits of the three, right? Um, do you 
line up with the most and not saying you got to pick one of the three but taking one from Graham and one from billy and one from mandy which ones of their personality traits do you think lend itself to you and vice versa um i mean if, if i guess if i was going to pick positive traits uh you know yeah. <laughs> you want to do one negative one positive <laughs> Sure. Uh, no, Mandy's, you know, Mandy's always in, in control of, of her situation. Uh, I, I think she's a little too harsh sometimes. Uh, Billy, of course, is, is free and easy and he's always happy, but he's a moron. And uh, if he didn't have, <laughs> if he wasn't best friends with the Grim Reaper, he'd be dead like 400 times over. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and Grim, uh, you know, he's... Uh, He's learning some hard lessons. Like I, I think he had sort of an entitled upbringing, and uh, he's he's getting schooled right now. So <laughs> beautiful. Um, more from Simon's UPS. What are your favorite sci-fi and horror films? There's so many, so many. Uh, yeah, this is just going to be like whenever ask, somebody asks me what my favorite horror or sci-fi movie or any favorite anything is, like it will be different tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was I was literally just talking to somebody else about. Uh, like my childhood where I was just afraid of like everything. And it took me so long to get to the point where I could watch any sort of gore or, or even just death, like the, uh, the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like yeah. I, I would fast forward through for years uh, until I finally got to the point where I could watch it. But uh, the movie that kind of broke me out of that was, was RoboCop, uh, <laughs> okay. that's which is, you know, that's sci-fi. There's a little bit of horror in there maybe. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I mean, Star Wars, obviously. There's there's loads and loads of, of references to stuff that I love in Billy and Mandy, so hopefully some of that comes through. <laughs> well, it, it does, for sure. And it's always hard asking you guys absolutes on, you know, something like that. Like, what's your favorite movie? Like, obviously, you're going to have some, but it's so hard to pick just one because there's so many. A, a movie on the right day that you might have not liked six years ago hits you because they're talking about something you might be going through and that might just completely change and upheave your entire thought process i'm like well shit i thought a was my favorite movie but i just saw c and fuck c blows a yeah, up i uh see now during the uh the pandemic i watched annihilation i don't know if you've seen that one have not uh it's natalie portman and a couple of other women uh they're all scientists they get sent into this weird anomaly it's it's very lovecraftian in a non obviously lovecraftian way mm -hmm. uh but like I, I watched it the first time and i got done and i was like i don't know man i don't like it and then i just thought about it like nonstop for like five days and then i watched it again and i was like i fucking love this movie <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I, it's just sometimes it takes takes a minute to sink in i guess and you got to sit back and really think about what you watched or thought about what you just seen. So you could really, you know, give your, give yourself an opinion on it. Um, there is one, and I can't think of the name, but when we have a, just a one or two minute chat after we finish this up, I'll give it to you. But there was a, a Korean zombie. I think it was Korean. Um, is this train to Busan? No, it came out okay. last year. I saw it during um, pan, the pandemic. It was picture. Um, oh shit. What was, uh, what was the movie? Um, Cloverfield where like it was all POV shot. Right. But it was, this one guy, he's in his apartment and he's, I think he was playing World of Warcraft, right? And then he's one of those Twitch streamers and the world just essentially goes all zombie. And he's either in Korea, China, or Japan, one of those two, one of those three countries. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking. Um, but it's a foreign film and his family is somewhere and he's the only one there and he's trying to survive. And the apartment he is in has thousands and thousands and thousands of people 
and he has to try to survive. And all he does is play video games and drinks Mountain Dew, essentially. Um, and it's him trying to survive. It's a horror movie. It is phenomenal on Netflix. Did, did you um, ever read uh, read World War Z? I haven't. The, the book just, version? Yeah. I ha- uh, What, World War Z, did you say? Or DMZ? Uh, World, World War Z. Z. Yes, I read uh, it before the movie came out. Yes. Yeah, and, yeah, me too. Uh, but I feel like that there's like a, a section of that that's like very similar, where it's like a Japanese kid that just plays video games. Yeah. And he's like completely out of shape, but like has a samurai sword and manages to get out of his building or something. Maybe, maybe. But it sounds like a cool movie. You'll have to. Yeah, it's dope. Let me know if you remember the name. Oh, I'll look it up right as right as we're talking and shit, and then I'll I'll give it to you. It's a phenomenal movie. Um, really, really good. Um. Oh, this one's a really, really good one. Um, one fifty-one. Bryce wants to know, how do you decide what voices to use for the characters? As far as whenever the voice actors come, do you have that general output or are the voice actors trying an entire plethora of different voices and then you get to pick from there? Um, I guess it's like with a lot of things in, I guess, any industry, like you, you kind of get to know people and what they're capable of. And, and once you've been around for a while, like, you know, like the broad strokes, at least of like what Great Lyle can do or what Maurice LaMarche can do and, and so some of your decisions get made that way. Um, Billy and Mandy in the in the beginning, like I didn't really have that knowledge. So back then it was just audio tapes and I just got like this massive box of audio tapes dropped on my desk and I listened to probably hundreds of, of just people uh, doing random auditions for other things. And, and uh, like if somebody sounded good, we'd have them do a read for Billy and Mandy and they'd send in a tape. Yeah. Uh, so that's how I found... Uh, uh, Richard and, and Gray and uh, Grimm actually uh, was the hardest to cast uh, for whatever reason just like I, I was determined that he was going to be sort of a, an uptight British guy uh, <laughs> and I, in, in my mind he was kind of based on the original Dr. Smith from Lost in Space uh, and we actually had Dr. Smith from Lost in Space come in but he was like a, you know 400 years old at that point and uh, <laughs> Uh, he was he was very nice, but he just didn't really seem into it. Uh, so, yeah, just started pulling in random people. And uh, between takes, uh, Greg Eagles uh, was doing a British thing, and then between takes, he just did this sort of uh, Jamaican thing. And I was like, "Do that," <laughs> and that just stuck. Uh, so, so yeah, that's how that happened. Uh, it, you know, it can kind of come from anywhere. Like uh, uh, Hector Concarne from Evil Concarne was Phil Lamar who. Um, I, I found doing that voice essentially as a Mexican wrestler on Mad TV yeah. in the early 90s. That that dude, he, he's come up like two or three times on a podcast. I'm going to have to see um, if he'd like to come on too. That dude does not get brought up enough. Phil Lamar, fantastic actor. And yeah, he does so many different voices. Like he was, uh, I was talking to somebody else about this the other day. Uh, they were like, yeah, wasn't he... Uh, he Irwin's dad and I was like yeah and he was also Irwin's grandma and he was uh, Dracula and just like <laughs> it's, it's amazing like what these these guys and girls can do with just the pitch of their throat and their diaphragm and just how they can change and do this and do this and sound like this but not sound like that it's just wild to sit here and think about um this one might be a difficult question it's from 151 Bryce as well uh do you know who the second choices for Grim, Billy and Mandy were uh if Greg Gray and Richard weren't cast I can't remember. Okay. Um, 
DTJ20 wants to know, um, what do you think about all the fan art and fanfics about your characters? Have you read any of them or seen? I'm pretty sure you've seen the fan art. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I always like it when uh, I feel like like I don't own these characters anymore. Like they're owned by Cartoon Network, but I would like to think that I I have just gifted them to the people. So yeah, yeah anytime somebody's like, hey, can I use your character in in like a comic or whatever, I'm like, a, it's not my character anymore, and b, yeah, please, like. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I would like uh, that's that's kind of how I like to imagine that their adventures will go on is just somebody else will make it part of their headcanon. <laughs> Beautiful. Now you kind of answered this one, but I wanted to bring it back around because you said you didn't want them to be grown up. You wanted them to be as kids. Um, what do you imagine the characters would be like today? Obviously, he wanted to know as adults or teens, but you said you had no thought of them being grown up. They would just be who they are. Do you see those characters evolving uh, into a different character possibly down the road still as kids, but do you see them, you know, taking away from the norm of what they are? Um, I suppose if I was really going to think deeply about it, like, I, I mean, I don't know. It's like they're, they're cartoons and they weren't designed to change, but people do. So there's yeah. potentially something interesting there. Beautiful. Um, ZL wants to know, this one is phenomenal. Um, I never thought about this until they brought it up. Billy's nose is similar to Stimpy's, and Stimpy's voice actor is Billy West. Was this a tribute or a coincidence? Mm, that's a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Billy always had a, a very big nose, but uh, it, it became a little bit bigger over the course of production just because I got vindictive. <laughs> uh, that was like one thing that the, the Cartoon Network did push back on early was uh, they did not like that his nose was so big. So I had to go through a special uh, focus group just about Billy's nose where there were like 10 or 12 different Billy nose sizes and uh, Cartoon Network picked one that was like three sizes smaller than the one I liked. And I was just so annoyed about it that I, uh, I just continued with the one I liked anyway. <laughs> and nobody ever mentioned it again. It was weird. Well, at least you got through, right? Uh, Black Rose Valkyrie wants to know, uh, how far did you try to push the boundaries on this show? Uh, I mean, there was definitely a part of me that was a little bit of an edgelord back then and, and, and trying to push things, uh, but mostly like the spooky stuff. Like that's, that's kind of where we were in the early first couple seasons. Uh, and that stuff was easy to get through. And I think just because they didn't know what to do with it uh like they they hadn't seen too much spooky stuff yet so they they just didn't really call it um what was the rest of the question <laughs> uh just the boundaries like how far you uh you tried to push them uh yeah that i mean really uh it was sort of uh i got into the mindset where it was just about survival because we did get canceled or almost canceled so many times so yeah. Uh, a lot of it was like a joke would play in the room and I would be like, I'm sending that one through. Like any <laughs> laugh I get is a good, good sign. Uh, but yeah, it was never really the intention to have like dirty jokes or, or anything like that uh, on my part anyway. And I think a, a couple of those, I think some of that is just like my, my personality and, and things, things that some people think are edgy, I guess I don't. And I think some of it just like slipped through because I don't, I'm not always as connected to broader society as I could be. 
like I do remember there was uh, that hip hop episode uh, and uh, the board artist for that threw in a Dave Chappelle skeet 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 joke and I had not seen <laughs> Dave Chappelle at that point so I set that through to the network because I just thought it was a funny noise. <laughs> So yeah, occasionally I would you know catch some shit for doing something dumb like that, but Dude, for the most part, uh, Cartoon Network was uh, they were great. Like they they really did support me up until that last week. <laughs> I'm I'm so glad you brought up Dave Chappelle, and I did not make that reference to that. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder what they were going for. And then you're like, oh yeah. This oh no, that that joke didn't end up in the show. Like oh, they never would have let that happen. No. Oh, I was about to say, I don't remember that happening, but I'm so glad it did. <laughs> but uh, so we got two more here. I'm gonna butcher this one. Well, Welly Manoramis wants to know, uh, what inspired you to create the Underworld, and have you ever heard the Swedish dub of Grim Adventures? I don't think I've heard the Swedish one. I've heard the Dutch one. Okay. And then, uh, sorry? Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, what inspired you to create the Underworld? Uh, mostly the necessity to have a place that was part of Grimm's life that didn't look like hell. <laughs> <laughs> so we just, uh, it, was, it was just sort of a, a challenge to come up with something that was kind of new and weird and different and didn't look like a, a literal Christian hell. And uh, last one from the fans here. Rachel San Diego wants to know. Uh, this one is fun, and this is why I saved it for the last one. Uh, what would Billy and Mandy look like if it were set in the 80s? Mm. I'm, I'm picturing Lost Boys-esque or Goonies-esque. That's what I think of. Would it still be animated? Uh, I, I was I was going across, but I don't know. Let's, let's let's do both. Let's do an animated. What would Billy and Mandy look like to you in the '80s, from the animation standpoint, and from uh, probably I probably the Smurfs, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I assume so. Uh, yeah, live action though. I don't know. I uh, this is a bit of a segue, but somebody told me I should watch Psycho Goreman. Which is about it's it just came out like last year. It's like an indie horror, I guess, comedy. Okay. Uh, but I know it's like two little kids, and I don't know if he's an alien or a demon or what. But they're they're paired up with this creature who just, I guess, murders people. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds similar enough that I, I want to check it out. But maybe it would be that. I don't know. Beautiful, but nonetheless, man, it'd be interesting to see what Billy and Mandy would look like 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2020s. Who knows? Maybe we'll get that. Um, is there anything else that uh, maybe we didn't hit on that you'd like to tell the fans? Or do you feel like we've said all we could really say? You know, obviously, there's going to be stories coming down the pike with Maxwell, um, you know, but is there anything else that you'd like to, you know, put out there? Mm, I think we did pretty good. Yeah, I feel like we did. Uh... Yeah, I, I feel satisfied. Uh, the the cat and the dog slept through the whole thing. <laughs> Ho hopefully, uh, nobody else did. <laughs> no, I don't think they will, man. Like I said, you when I posted the picture of of Billy and Mandy and Grimm, and I put it out there, it was one of those things where for the first two hours I had to set my phone. And there's only been two other posts, well, two including yours that I've had to do that with where I had to set my phone on the other side of the room because I was tired of feeling the vibrate. I was tired of seeing it light up. I was trying to watch cartoons or I was trying to watch a movie or something like that. And it just kept going ding, 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 ding. 
Um, so for just a little while, I felt like what it was like to be not so much Maxwell, but somebody in your position, right? You guys are just always getting bombarded with, Hey man, do my inner or do my podcast or do this thing or do this, do that, do that. And you guys are always stretched so thin and I appreciate you coming on is what I'm getting at. Um, I, I'd like to apologize for all the Billy and Mandy fans. <laughs> why, why would you blowing say up your blowing up your phone? Oh, no, uh, no, no. Uh, I no, mean, I, I mean, I guess if I have, if I have one other thing to say, it's just like, like we did get canceled and almost canceled so many times and, and every time we came back and in, indeed the very first time we were brought into being, it was because of the fans. So I definitely appreciate everybody out there who, you know, sent back some love. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I was being completely facetious when I said I was getting agitated because I, know, I, I love fan interaction. I really, really do because I think that's something that's lost in a lot of podcasting, especially when, you have something where it's, I don't see myself as a journalist. I don't see myself as an interviewer. I really don't see that. I just like talking to the guys and the girls that just made life so much fun back in the day. Um, and it's always fun to see what people can come up with as far as questions, because it starts to make me think I'm like, oh shit, why did I never look at, you know, that scene that way? When you start seeing everybody else's opinion or everybody else's like how they look at something or how they take something in and then regurgitate it, you're like, shit man that's such an astute point that i never i was just laughing because he was digging in his nose and then grim fell and his head fell off but now there's a reason because of all of this stuff happening and i'm just using it as a hyperbole at this point but there's a reason and then you're so smart you did that so there's a few questions in here that i didn't know nothing about you know case in point being a few of the topics we talked about earlier that we discussed and then i learned something from these guys and girls that submitted all these questions so i appreciate when the fans do send in questions just sometimes i just want to watch cartoons and not feel my phone vibrate <laughs> uh, but nonetheless man i really really appreciate what you did maxwell i can't wait to see what you got coming down the down the pike i really really hope that if you do want to tell that Billy and Mandy movie story, if it turns into another series, what have you. I hope that they give you your justice. I hope that they give you everything you need to set up because if anything, us fans deserve it to see this, but you deserve it more than anybody else to finally get to put a bow on whatever stories that you got left up here with these characters that you created, man. I can't thank you enough and I really appreciate you and everything you've done. Uh, I know you don't take compliments so well. So I, I won't. I won't go too far past that. Thank you. Is essentially is what I'm getting at. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> He's been Maxwell. I've been Julian. This has been the What's in My Head podcast, the podcast for animation, pop culture, and eventually something else. But right now, I'm having a lot of fun on animation. Thank you guys so much, and I'll talk to you guys really, really soon. Thanks again for checking out the What's in My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.